Hello, and welcome to the High Reliability Podcast. My name is Peter Martin, president of Gosselin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is brought to you by The Career Hub. To learn more about The Career Hub or to view um, the jobs that we are recruiting for here at Gosselin Martin, please visit our website at gosselin-associates.com. As we release this podcast in late January, um, we recently began working with Children's Medical Center Dallas. I'm a senior director of facilities engineering role. So if you're interested in that or interested in any of the other opportunities listed on our website, um, please go to the jobs tab on our website. And with that said, our little, uh, our little, our little um, promotion, we welcome David Trask to the High Reliability Podcast. David is the National Director for ARC Facilities, a role he's held since 2016. Prior to holding his National Director position, David served as National Business Development Manager and as a Business Development Representative for ARC Document Solutions. Prior to joining ARC in 2012, David worked in various roles in publishing, media, and marketing. David has and continues to do volunteer work for IFMA, the International Facility Management Association, and he's currently serving on the Education Program Committee World Workplace 2023. David studied graphic communications at Daytona State College. David, welcome to the High Reliability Podcast. Hi, thank you, Peter. I, uh, I congratulate David. He may not know this, but you are the first national director to appear on the podcast. So congratulations. <laughs> well, I guess thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because Dunkin' Donuts is all over the United States these days, I'll send you a, a gift card to Dunkin' Donuts as the first national director. <laughs> all right. Hey, my, my wife's from Boston, so that's a win, right? <laughs> that's correct. A little, little taste, taste home. So David is coming to us from his home in Florida. Um David, let me ask first, you know, you are, what is a first question? You're a national director. So how often are you out on the road? And then secondarily, what does the national director for ARC facilities do? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the road, uh, way, way too many, uh, way too many weeks in a row for sure. But, um, essentially, uh, consider me sort of a brand ambassador. I, I travel around the country. I speak at different conferences around the country. I do a, a, a ton of webinars and with industry trade publications and, um, but, but very high level. I, I really try to not just promote what we do, but really promote what the industry is facing and, and be sort of that, uh, that voice as best I can to really spread the word on what other folks are doing. Interesting. Interesting. So tell me, first to establish ARC facilities, what, you know, you're very well connected in healthcare facilities management. Um, if you follow David on LinkedIn or any of the social media, you see that he's frequently out there and about speaking for, uh, you know, hospitals and healthcare engineering society. So very well connected in healthcare facilities management. But what other industries does ARC work in and what other industries are, are you familiar with uh, or, or do you work in? 
Sure. Uh, education is a is a huge one, whether it's higher ed or K through 12, manufacturing as well. Uh, we also have several of our clients that are actually stadiums, large stadiums around the country. Um, we really look at facilities are facilities. It's a building. Um, mm-hmm. The the infrastructure within that building varies. Obviously, hospitals are, are very more uh, much so more complicated um, than a, a general office building. But at the end of the day, it's still a structure. Um, it has HVAC. It has electrical. It has plumbing. Um but for us, it really doesn't matter what that building type is. Um, and, and all of them have relatable uh, type of things that happen on a day-to-day. Um, I think where we do a, a really good job, and I try to do a, a good job of, is really sharing some best practices that some folks so they're, uh, that are doing that, that other folks don't have to reinvent a wheel. Um, I think everybody, we learn from each other. And, and that's what I really try to, try to preach. So what type of solutions, and I want to get into the best practices, and I'd like to hear, you know, you talk about telling about the, uh, you know, the challenges that the industry is facing. I'd, you know, I'd like to get into comparing healthcare because we're very insular. You know, you, you work sure. within your own industry. You know, how does healthcare uh, compare to what education is facing and manufacturing is facing? But before we go there, David, tell if somebody's not familiar with ARC, what types of products, what do you do? Sure. So essentially, ARC is a mobile platform. And what we do is we work with facilities teams to capture information about their buildings. So we manage all their large format drawings. We have patented software that reads the large format drawings. What we also do is on-site field surveys where we physically go out and capture the locations of every piece of equipment in the building. That's all your mechanical pieces, all your emergency pieces. Um, identify them. Also, field verify what's really out in the field. Um, I think that's a shortcoming for many organizations. Um, They don't really know what they don't know. And they don't have the time to go out there and verify that. That's what we do. But then we deliver it on a mobile platform because at the end of the day, teams are in the field. They're not sitting at a computer. They're they're bouncing from one one emergency to the next and and constantly putting out fires. Um, that's what we do. We put it in their hands and give them the ability to find the information they need to do their job. Hmm. Great, thank you. All very all very relevant. How did you? Um, you know, we talked about read a little bit of your bio coming in. You know, you've been at Arc since twenty twelve, but before that, you were in working in, you know, marketing, media, not the traditional path into, you know, healthcare facilities. How did you find yourself transitioning into ARC? And what what have your thoughts been, you know, you've been doing it for a long time now. Um, How have you been with the transition? And and what have you found? Has anything kind of surprised you as you've, you know, you've got a pretty eclectic career? Yeah. Well, what what do they say? It's not a job if you love what you do. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, I found a, a path and, and I love what I do. It's, it's listening to people and, and really identifying problems and, and figuring out solutions, you know, a little, little backstory in our parent company, we're the biggest blueprinter in the world, uh, over, over 140 locations around the, around the U S um, we're also overseas, but, but at the end of the day, uh, they, they print things for people, but 
we weren't really servicing the building owner. We were working with general contractors and, and architects and engineering firms and things like that. But the owner was underserved. So we listened and really started figuring out what are some of the shortcomings that they were they were facing. And, and what it really came down to is uh, piles and piles of paper. They, <laughs> they were just, you know, antiquated yeah. systems, really, really outdated systems that, that didn't serve the purpose that, that they needed. So, you know, I talked to leadership and, and we built something based on what we heard. Um, this wasn't one of those build it and they will come things. It was, let's, let's take off a, a piece and see if we can help with that. And, and it snowballed from there. Um, I think where, where a lot of organizations struggle, um, and again, I don't think it matters the vertical, but, but in particular, the healthcare vertical though, I will say there are some exceptions because there's just more stuff in healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, their buildings are so much more complex, but, but, that's the environment personally where I thrive, where we can figure out a way to to help and w- a way to fix and a way to to serve. Um, and you know that's why I'm I'm on several advisory boards as far as uh, different ways to in, to enhance um, the the usability of of different things within facilities. And I think uh, I think that's an underserved market where where a lot of folks just didn't have anywhere to go. There was nowhere to turn. And I think now more than ever, especially coming out of the pandemic, everybody's leaning on everybody to learn, learn from each other. And, and instead of, you know, reinventing that wheel. Um, and, and, and to me, that's, that's so rewarding. How did you, you know, you, you said you, you found your path. How did you find your path into healthcare? I think that with the healthcare side, you know, it's, personally i think it's 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 such a it's such a rewarding uh path as far as what healthcare providers provide to their their occupants to their patients um my my family i've got several of them that are in in the healthcare field and and i've always been interested in in what healthcare providers do but from the backside or the 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 for lack of a better term, the, the folks that are behind the scenes, um, I had no exposure to that mm-hmm. as far as the facility side. And I think where, where facilities plays a, a huge role uh, in healthcare is it, it, it directly impacts lives. And in many cases, you know, in, in other verticals, that's, that's not the case. This is, you know, if, if something goes down in an OR, it's it's literally a nine one one because somebody's life's at stake, um, and that's that's such a you know everybody's trying to respond quickly, but it's it's you have to respond quickly when it's in the healthcare space, and being able to to work with those folks to figure out different ways to help increase that that productivity, increase that that response time. Um, it, 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 to me, that was just a, a win, personal mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. Is there a, uh, you know, as you look back at your time, 
in healthcare, is, is there a project? Is there a project that sticks out to you? Something particular? I'm, and they're all important, right? You've talked about service and that's at the core of what you do. But is there a project or two that, that sticks out to you that, you know, in, in your mind, we all, I come from a project management background in construction way back. And I have a couple of projects that I remember because one was a nightmare and one was fantastic. <laughs> do you have those, do you have those in your memory? Are there one or two that stands out to you that you recall? I do. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say it that way because it's those ones that really stick out to you. Um, I, you know, I think in a lot of cases where, where a newer building uh, comes into play, the stuff doesn't break very often. And if it does, it's minor. Um, everything's new. Where I, where I really think uh, we've excelled over the years too is, is in particular on the really, really old buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that have changed so many times, they've gone, over, gone through such a turnover. And it's not just a, a normal, they lose people uh, here and there because of, of whatever happened. Um, it's, it's just the building's 100 years old. Yeah. You know, no one who was there when it was built or no one's left that was there when it was built, you know, they're gone. Um, so there's new generations that have come through. Um, I remember there was a hospital that we work with up in uh, the Midwest that in, in particular, that there were two generations of, of facilities leads in, in the same organization and their, their grandfathered retired from the same org, you know, and yeah. To me, that was that's a lot of legacy right there. Um, but that's also a ton of of building knowledge. Um, but where where I think that that one really sticks in my mind is I remember going to the, into their plan room for the first time, and you know most folks don't think about an old old building um, as far as any different or, or significantly different other than you know some technology changes over the years, but. It, it was the sheer number of renovations that had happened over the years. Um, new wings, you know, mm-hmm. the, the core building was pictured as a center core with, with wings going off of it. Every wing had been done over, you know, 10 year timeframe um, in 10 year increments. The challenge is how do you match up all that old stuff with the new stuff? And it was, it was per- particularly, it was a nightmare for their, their folks. And, just walking into that plan room and wall to wall drawings. Well, every one of those drawing sets represents a change to the building. And I, I was shocked. I, I mean, it was, I walked in there and I couldn't believe my eyes. There were, you know, cubbies with drawings crammed in them. There were flat file cabinets. There were hanging stick files. There were, there were drums, uh, big, big 55 gallon drums that had plans and, sticking out of them all over the place and then walls of binders, you know, and by the time we, we went through all that stuff, you know, 90% of the binders were for old equipment. It's not even there anymore. Yeah. You know, it's that type of a shock factor that, that I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And it's funny that you bring that up as an example, because you know, the one nightmare project that stands out for me was a EDOR reno for an old facility. And um, anytime you, you know, popped a ceiling tile or you might find, you know, you had a duck run going one way, but there was a, you know, there's a, there's a wall, there's a foundation that was never uncovered. And right. it was everything we did. That is the one project you still have nightmares about it. Cause no matter everybody's well-intentioned, 
nobody is trying to do the wrong thing. Everybody's right. trying to do the right thing. But everywhere you turn, there's another obstacle in front of you. And the budget gets out of control and the schedule gets out of control. People start to point fingers, even though everybody's well-intentioned to get to the end. But those old buildings, especially if you can't scan them in advance, and this was you know, a couple of years ago, so I'm sure the technology is better, but it just snowballs on you. And I'd imagine that must be where you, know, you guys can kind of shine. Well, it is. And, you know, and, and you're right. Every building's a little bit different. Every building's gone through these renovations, but, but it's those hidden things that you find, you know, people in facilities, people in, in, in design construction, um, you don't know what you, you don't know until you start popping ceiling. You know, I, I heard from a guy the other day that, uh, you know, I have conversations with folks all the time about, about different topics, but this guy said something that really resonated with me. He said, you know, institutional knowledge or, or knowledge transfers from people to, from person to person when something goes sideways. And, and that resonated with me. He said, you know, when, when, when an emergency happens, that's when the knowledge transfer happens. And like you were saying with the ceiling tiles, these guys don't have time to pop every ceiling tile and see what's up there. You know, they just don't. And when they find stuff is when something's going sideways in the building. And, and the problem is for years, years and years, they would trace lines, never document it, or they'd write it in that little notepad that's in their shirt pocket and (laughs) no one else knew. And then time goes by and then it, it gets lost. So what happens the next time something happens? It's, oh, I remember something happened here, but I can't remember exactly what we did. So I'm going to start popping ceiling tiles and tracing lines again. It's, it's rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And that, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know, do you find, um, when you go into a project or when you're working with a, um, when you're working with a client, do you find that, do you ever run into folks who have perhaps been at the hospital or at the college for 35, 40 years and they kind they're that hub of knowledge because mm-hmm. they've got that institutional knowledge, but they're also hesitant to to kind of let you into what they know. Do you ever find people like that as you're out there? And what's your approach um, in in getting that knowledge and in getting them to see you as somebody who's here to help, not somebody who's there to make them unemployed because they've given up their knowledge? Because you know people think that way sometimes. You run into them all the time. If I tell yeah. what I know, they're going to let me go. Well, you're you're right. I I think sometimes we we've seen that that barrier comes down a few times when they realize. Well, most of the time, I should say, it comes down when we we simply say a few things. Listen, we we get it. You've been there a long time. You know the your knowledge is you know in many cases can be their power. Um, the, the challenge is to and well, not challenge. I think that's that's not the the correct word. I think the better word is this is their baby. In, in some cases, um, well, in many cases, I think they treat it like their second home. They've been there so long. The record yeah. I've heard, uh, the longest tenure employee I've heard was uh, was 52 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the guy, he, he's still there. You know, he's in his 70s. And, but, but it happens. And, but they treat it like their second home. They know the building. 
but but the challenges for them is they they are starting to recognize or they start to reach a point in their career where they recognize that you know I'm I'm on my last legs here with the org meaning not not that they're going to be forced out or anything like that it's more so listen I'm I'm tired you know these guys are they reach a point in their career and I, I, I firmly believe this. They reach a point in their career where they're tired of, of crawling on their hands and knees underneath the ductwork yeah. and, you know, and hitting that screw that's in the dark underneath, uh, you know, on the floor there yeah. that they've hit 15 times, but they keep forgetting it's there. Um, you know, it's, they understand that the time is coming. So there, there's two, two kind of trains of thought there. It's, you know, I'm taking it to, I'm taking it with me when I leave, meaning that knowledge. But, but a lot of times that's, that's spurred by, by things that have happened in the past. Okay. At the, at the organization. Um, but for the most part, I don't see a lot of that. I see a lot of that as, as, you know, sure. I like it when the guys call me or they Mm -hmm. have to call me, but at the same time, I also get tired of them calling me. So I think they, they see what we're doing in particular as a way to transfer that knowledge over and, so that their phone stops ringing because they can't take a vacation without their phone ringing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some, you know, you talked about best practices and sharing best practices and, you know, that's part of what you do. What are some best practices relative to, to knowledge transfer and to what we've been you know discussing? Yeah. I think that what, a few of the, the big things are always documenting. I, I say, I preach this, I scream it from the rooftops you know, one person knowing where stuff is, is a single point of failure, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I say that all the time and it's document, document, document. If, if someone knows where something is and the next person up doesn't, that's a problem. How many organizations, so, David, would you say do document well? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Sure. How many organizations do document well is is it is it widespread that they are document what do you find do they or do they not document not well most most not well and Mm -hmm. and honestly it's because they don't have a way to do it yeah um you know paper is is a problem you know um (laughs) you know i i like as you said at the beginning i i do a lot of speaking around the country at different conferences and things and one of the first things that i always ask the audience and is, is raise your hand if you've got a smartphone and everybody, of course, I mean, it's a stupid question. Everybody raises their hand, but I ask it for a reason. And then I say, keep your hand in the air. If you could access all the documentation for your building and virtually every person in that room puts their hand down and I'll, and I look at them and I say, pardon my language, why the hell not? And that sets kind of the groundwork for understanding what we're going to talk about. But more importantly, it's, it's to really get them to think, why not? You know, it's 2023, it's 2023 and I can access a menu in a restaurant from my phone, but I can't access my drawings from my building or my shutoffs for my building or, or an equipment location for my building. Come on. Why is that the case? What's they don't the barrier? Know. Well, they don't know how, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know how. Um, and in a lot of cases, I think where it comes down to is they don't know what they don't know. Um, they don't know what technology is available. But in some cases, it's they they've got some technologies that I've seen that 
they've got in house that they could have been doing uh, doing similar things or something in at least something um, in these other systems they've already got, and they just don't leverage technology to do that. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's twenty twenty three. There are technologies that are that are changing, evolving over time. That you know everybody's building things. Um, I think where, where a lot of orgs struggle though, is they've got so many different technologies and they don't even really know what they all do. Yeah. And that, that's a challenge. Yeah. I want to get back to best practices cause I knocked you off, you know, you were talking about document, but what you, you just mentioned something that was interesting and uh, we did a, we conducted a survey late last fall, just of, <clears throat> excuse me, of our FM, um, you know, the, our, the folks in our FM network. And a couple of the people responded about technology and software and, and their comment, and I think I can see how it ties into what you just said, was that the technology is more a barrier for us because it ties us to our computers working as opposed to being out in the field doing. And there was a couple of folks who, who mentioned that. Do yeah. you think that, like, does, does software... Does technology get a bad name in the FM world because it's not seen by all as a helper? It's kind of seen as a hindrance. So do we need to go back to square one and kind of educate this is how technology can help you and make your life easier so you're not tied to your computer? Well, I 100% agree with that comment. Um, I think it's all about education, but more importantly, and I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a half a second here, um, <laughs> it's... We very much so from our org came at this for a, from a mobile first perspective mm -hmm. because, you know, I get it. You know, the facilities teams are in the field. They're not tied to a desk. I always say they're not chained to a desk because they're not. Um, if they're at a desk, they're not out fixing stuff. They're not out doing preventative maintenance. They're not out there, you know, finishing work orders. Um, that That's not their job. So if you're not mobile first or you don't have technology that is available mobile, easily available in a mobile platform, that's a problem. And I think there's been a seismic shift in technology over the years, especially over the last 10 years, where a lot of the organizations that are out there, software organizations that are out there, didn't approach it from a mobile first because let's face, let's face it, mobile wasn't available 25 years ago or 20 years yeah. ago, not, not the way it is today. Right. And and now the the challenge that they're facing in many of these orgs is the technologies that they have don't have a way to move forward without a complete restructure rebuild. And that that's a challenge. You know, I think where we're fortunate is we we went into this with eyes open a little bit differently. And it was, listen, these people are not tied to a desk. So, you know, we're going to put more of our emphasis on what can the guy or gal in the field access when they're standing on a roof, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think if you, if you look at it from the perspective of a, of a, any kind of a barrier, you've got to knock down those walls. And that's what, what we really tried to do. And, and, but at the other, let me flip that a little bit and, and say, even if it's available mobile, if it's not easy, they won't use it anyway. So you've just it's got to be simple you can't make people dig i mean it, digging is is no better than sitting at a, a, a desktop computer someplace you know pounding on a keyboard you know to the point where you know i've heard several of the older facilities folks that 
that that literally want to take their their laptop and throw it through the window. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's yeah. just the way it is. You know, yeah, absolutely. They're not tech savvy, and and but but that being said, what I just said right there is they're not tech savvy. You know, the, the younger folks that are coming coming up through the the ranks are they they were born with a smartphone in their hand. Yeah. Okay. But the older folks weren't. Well, you know, half the team is in the latter group. So right. if it's not easy, they won't use it. But but I think the other thing is is to really shift the conversation into, listen, this is no different than a wrench. Okay. You need to look at this as a tool. This is a tool in your tool belt. And this is a hammer. This is a crescent wrench. You know, this is something to help you with your job. It is, I mean, honestly, let's face it, especially in healthcare, it is impossible for somebody to remember where everything is. It, mm -hmm. it will never happen. And especially the legacy guys that have been with the team forever, they've probably forgot more than they could ever tell anybody. And if you put something in their hands that they can actually document stuff so that they don't have to remember, that that's a win. You must see you, know, you must see some pretty interesting generational differences when you're working with clients. Do you between the you know, between between the boomers and and the and the younger folks who have come up with the with it in their hand? Do, do you see that? You know, does that play itself out live in front of you when you're trying to implement a solution? And and is that interesting to you? You know, what what what's that? like what's that scenario like when you're watching yeah, I, I, i'm trying the dynamic is funny actually to me um i think it's gotta it, be. it, it yeah. is it's yeah. it's 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 almost like a grandfather father or grandfather grandson uh scenario <laughs> mm -hmm. in, in many cases i think it's it's funny because they they usually in most cases they kind of rip on each other you know jokingly <laughs> and uh but, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you kids or, you know, you don't know anything. You weren't here when this is there. Yeah. And then you'll hear the younger guys say, yeah, we replaced that 15 years ago. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it's that kind of a, of a humor. But but I think, you know, it's I, I see many of the, the younger guys that that openly mock the older guys, jokingly, of course, um, that, oh, you know, he doesn't know how to do this and he doesn't know to how to do that. But where I see a shift that's been happening is the older guys will be like, oh, you know what? Watch this. And then they show them because they they realize that, you know, it's not their enemy. Hmm. The, you know, the phone's not their enemy. The phone is, you know, it's it's there to help them, too. And, you know, and, and I, I used to say this a few years ago, well, about a year and a half ago during the middle of the pandemic, I, I did a couple of webinars on, on different things. And it, a lot of it was on the legacy folks that have been with orgs for a long time. And, and I, I said, you know what, there isn't one person today that hasn't been on zoom. I mean, there's nobody, I don't mm -hmm. care what generation you are, you've been on zoom. Okay. Or you've walked into a, a, a restaurant and they don't have a paper menu. So you scanned a QR code and found the menu. You know, every person, my dad, who's, who's in his mid seventies, you know, got a smartphone. I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> you know, everybody has a smartphone today, Yeah. you know, and they use it. You know, my mom is probably more tech savvy than I am on her phone. Um, she has all the, all the tools and, you know, it's, it's not the scary thing that it was five years ago to, right. to a lot of these folks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a seismic shift. And I think with, with in particular healthcare, where there's just so much stuff going on, 
um, these folks having the ability to, to, to access stuff on their phone is, is a big deal. You, you'd mentioned that 20 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have something in our hand that gave us all the information it does today. It got me to thinking we've come so far in 15 years, whatever, how even five years, I don't know, you would know better than <laughs> I do. Um, it, do you ever sit back and think, oh my God, I can't believe we've come from A to B, but then where do we, where are we going, David? What's, what's next relative to, you know, what you guys provide and how people access information? Or do you ever think about that, that kind of that next step, how far we've come and where we're going? I do. I do. I think one of the, one of the things that I think is, is sometimes I kind of look at the facility space is like steering the Titanic with a, with a, you know, with an oar. Um, <laughs> I think that, and, and, and the reason I say that it's, it's not about the, it's believe me, it's not to downplay the industry or the tech savviness of our industry. It's not that it's, you know, what is it? Uh, 30, 40% of the buildings uh, that are out there in the world today or 20, 30, whatever the percentage is, I, I forget are, are less than 20 year old buildings. The balance of them are over 20 years old. Mm -hmm. That's the bigger problem than the people it's the buildings are old. Mm. So even if you, you have, even if you have digital stuff, it's, th that's what I was saying earlier with regards to old, old buildings like that hospital that I, that I mentioned, those are really old buildings, which means they haven't been retrofitted. They haven't been brought brought to today's standards 100%. So you still have a ton of old stuff that's out in the field versus the new stuff that's in the field. Um, it's a mix mosh. Um, I think that there's not, there's not a lot of, of, there's not a lot of room to just eliminate certain things, meaning you can't just all of a sudden you're going to rip something out because it impacts so much other yeah. things within the building, um, which means there's going to be a mix of technology levels or even the ability to implement certain technology levels. And I'm talking about like control systems mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that, where you can't just implement some of that stuff on some of the technology or some of the devices, I should say that are out in the field because they're not even built for that. Um, so I think, as we replace things in buildings, you're going to start to see that ramp up into, into uh, being able to implement even more in-depth technologies uh, network-wide. I think where, where I'm starting to see is, is a, a bigger uh, challenge is um, those people are just walking out the door today. I mean, COVID, honestly... Um, decimated some organizations um, with regards to early retirements. People yep. who were on the fence about leaving left. Yep. Um, they just made a, a life choice and God bless them. I mean, they, they made a decision that they were, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I was close and now I'm done. Yes. The, exactly the challenge right. is they left and that institutional knowledge walked with them. Um, so even if you, implemented something today, the guy who knew where a lot of that stuff is, is gone. Um, so now you're, you're, you're hunting. That's where I think where a lot of orgs struggle is they've lost that institutional knowledge before they even took a leap. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we see the, the same thing that you, you talk about your, 
industry, you know, the, the challenges that the industry is facing, it, it, there's a number of, you know, there's just from a people perspective, you have the retirements because a lot of the boomers hung on and then COVID hit and that was kind of it. Yeah. But you also have, you know, there's the, the, the COVID shot. There's the, you know, it's interesting you're in the software. I'm talking to more people who are, I, I think other industries are coming after these healthcare FM people to transition into software yeah. or into academia yeah. or even into, because I mean, you know, if you're in a healthcare facility, you're kind of, you're at the major leagues That's of right. facilities management. And so you're an attractive person mm -hmm. to other industries. And, and I'm right. seeing, you know, in folks in our network, I'll talk to them like, Pete, you know, I, I'm leaving. I'm, I've kind of had it. I'm at the, you know, I'm at my wits end and they're transitioning. And it's concerning to me only because these are some folks who have a pretty good runway in front of them. You know, they could That's conceivably right. had they stayed, they got 25 to 30 years. So there's a number of things going on. Are, are, are you seeing that as well, David, relative to employee movement, employee retirement? I am. And, and, you know, you, you hit it on the head with regards to healthcare, you know, healthcare's got, if you can do healthcare and you've done it well, you can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll flip that a little bit in, that's part of the challenge with healthcare too, or can be part of the challenge with healthcare too. You're not typically going to hire somebody straight off the street that knows med gas. Right. You know, right. You, you don't just find those people. And if you find them, they're coming from another healthcare right. provider. Yeah. Um, I, I see in healthcare, there's a lot of movement between healthcare orgs, but to your point and you're spot on, everybody in their backyard is fighting for the same people. Yeah. Okay. And with the current labor market, the way it is, I mean, I've heard horror stories, especially in the public sector. I've heard horror stories where, and when I say horror stories, I mean, they're losing people left and yeah. right. Mm -hmm. And because the labor market is the way it is right now, um, they're losing electricians, plumbers, HVAC techs, controls, people, um, that, that are making, you know, eight, 10, 12, $15 more an hour, literally five minutes up the street. <laughs> yeah. And if you're in, if you're in a, a, a public sector, how do you compete with that? Right. You can't even meet them in the middle. Okay. And, and be in the ballpark in healthcare. I think it's, it's a little bit different because, you know, the pay scale tends to be a little bit higher in healthcare, but still what's the prevailing wage in, in that area, you know, and if you bring, uh, if there's a union involved, you know, you can't just bump one person up, right. You know, you, right. you bump everybody up. If you bump somebody up, I think in where the labor market is today, everybody's fighting for the limited pool of people that are out there. But I think the other underlying problem here, and I, I preach this all the time, there are not enough younger folks coming into the industry, into the trades to backfill what's going out. There just aren't. Um, you know, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but but for, for my whole life, I was pounded in my head, go get a four-year degree or you're not going to be successful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. pounded in everybody's head. Yep. Some people are not meant to get a four-year degree. Right. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. You can make a success. Uh, you can have a successful career, make good money and, and have a, a long, happy life in trades, uh, doing any of the trades. And I think that there, 
that was always looked down on. I've one of the presentations that I did last year, I have a slide that shows on it's a split screen and I do this on purpose. This is meant to make people laugh, but on one side it says, you know, it's got a picture of a guy and he said he's got a four-year degree in philosophy, has a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, looks down on anybody who doesn't have a four-year degree and yeah. is working at Starbucks part-time. Right. On the right hand side, it's got another guy who has zero student loan debt, went through trade school, did an apprenticeship, you know, started out making between 80 and 100, 100 grand a year and just turned the other guy's power off. <laughs> you know, it's it's meant to do exactly what it did to you. It's meant yeah. to make people laugh, but it's it's meant to break down that barrier barrier of stereotypes. Yeah. It's you know, I my my daughter is 15 years old. Okay. If she told me today, which she has been hinting around potentially wanting to be an engineer. And I said, I'll get her LLC next week. Okay. <laughs> um, any, and, and I think the other, the other underserved area, and uh, I've actually done, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox again here for a minute. Um, but, but it's, it's also to encourage women in facilities mm -hmm. to pursue a career in facilities. That's a big deal. Yep. I mean, like I said, I have a, a daughter. That is a passion project of mine. I I think every woman in that that is out there that's in facilities should be lifting up every other young lady who's looking to get into facilities and promote the heck out of that because it is a career and it is a heck of a career path. And I think there there there's just such an underserved. Um, a, a underserved career opportunity for so many folks that are out there um, that I think that, that people don't even consider that because again, it's this stereotypical, uh, you know, you're not a success unless you have a four-year degree. And, and to me, that's, that's a shame. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. We've done a lot of, um, you know, we've done podcasts, I've written articles just about that, you know, about the necessity for the college degree as a as a you know as a barrier to entry on the management level and and I want to ask you that question um what do you think cuz I'm I'm with you on the college degree it's not for everybody you know sometimes you, you find your path a little bit later and and we tell people to pursue their passion yet if they don't have the degree sometimes we hold it against them so it's almost like mixed messaging you know sure find your passion do your thing but a little bit further down but what do you think about you've worked i mean you've got a good background, you've been in healthcare, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. The necessity of a college degree to move into healthcare management, healthcare facilities management. Mm -hmm. Do you, you think it should be a requirement? Do you think it's situational? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's, it, it's twofold. One is you have to understand the trades. Mm -hmm. to, uh, I think if you're, if you're just moved into a management role in healthcare, I think it's, it's your setup to fail. Yep. Um, if you don't understand the trades. Now, the flip side of that, I've also seen where where folks moved up from the trades within the organization into a management role with no training whatsoever. And that can also be a, a, a setup to failure. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's about the understanding of the facility, understanding the operation of the facility. And I'm not talking about the budget. I, you know, I'm not talking about learning and understanding budgets. I'm talking about the function of the building. If you don't have a clear understanding of the function of the building, uh, and, and I'm not saying you have to know every in and out. That's not what I mean. It's, it's, you have to understand 
the the what, the whys, and the hows. You know, why is something breaking? How do I fix it? And and you know, what's our move forward plan? And I think where where I've seen the biggest success factors for for managers moving in, especially folks that have moved into a management role, is your your strength of your team. You know. I've seen managers in in healthcare that don't have a strong managerial background. They just don't, but they've got one heck of a team behind them. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's a big deal. I think it's, it's, I've also seen folks that have struggled where they have no, they're, they're not a people manager. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just not, but they're (laughs) one heck of an HVAC tech. Right. You know, um, so I think from from a leadership standpoint within an organization at the you know the C level when you're really evaluating uh, who who that person is I'm going to hire you need that mix you need yep. somebody who's who who's a team builder uh, not just a team player but a team builder that you know understands that you know they don't have to be the one that knows everything but they need to know enough to to be able to guide the team to make those right decisions yes yeah you need both one if you got one but not the other you're probably not going to be successful which actually kind of leads me so it's not in the job pro, it's not in the job profile for any director of fm or any you know management position but you know i mean because you do it daily that you know part of the role is you need to be a salesperson too when you're in front of that C-level leadership, if you need mm-hmm. a new boiler, if your infrastructure mm-hmm. is failing, if you want an ARC solution, you know, to help you navigate documents. You, to me, David, seem, you know, just based on your background and talking to you and everything you do out there evangelizing, you would seem to be pretty comfortable with that sales role, you know, with with kind of selling selling something. You don't even have to do it overtly. You can do it implicitly. What would you say though to a, to a person, you know, say you're a facility manager, you're new into the role, you're not comfortable selling, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, com- what advice, you know, you've been doing it your whole career. What advice would you give that person who's, who's not comfortable selling? How do you, can you become more comfortable doing that? And how do you do it within the confines of your personality? Sure, sure. Well, and and like you said, not everybody is is in a position to even explain why why something is is needed. Um, and and you know, I'll use this example, and and this is you know a fake example, but this is very true. I I, I when the people that I speak to in facilities directors roles where they've got to go upstream and mm-hmm. sell something, um, and, and not even just software, they've got to replace a, an RTU on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. Okay. They they're not used to going in and justifying why something is is needed. Yeah. Okay. I I firmly believe this and and this is just the way it 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 happens is you have to explain them what is impacted if they don't. Okay? And and let me explain that. Um I've got one of my clients in healthcare. It's actually um on the uh west coast of of the US. They uh they have to replace a ton of equipment. They're working on their master plan and, you know, leadership is not facilities. And I think that's one of the biggest thing that people need to understand is leadership does not care or understand what what HVAC units do, what other than hot, cold, that's all they care about. That's all they know. And what they also don't care about, or they only care when somebody calls them and screams, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. 
or it directly impacts their office, which is kind of funny. Um, and I've got <laughs> stories about that. Um, but Jen, wait, wait, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. Is there a funny story that you could tell without divulging names, yeah. dates, and people? Yeah, I, I do. It, it's it's actually really it made me uh, literally laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> um, the a facilities director had been talking about a a unit that was leaking for for well over two years, and the CFO, you know, kept knocking it out of the budget every year, year over year <laughs> over year, mm-hmm. and finally. Uh, it it was over a holiday weekend, and it the the line finally broke and flooded his office, <laughs> the CFO's office. Okay, and yeah. the CFO you know freaks out, wow. and you know you got to get this thing fixed. And he wow. literally walked in there with four years worth of budgets. Where wow, he, where he cut that out and said. This is why I asked for these things. That's a great story. And I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it's <laughs> it's because they don't know what they don't know. Do you and, know how the CFO responded? Did you ever find out how the CFO responded to that? Uh, they actually got a unit about three months later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but it's, it's those, you know, sometimes that's the eye-opening type of things that, that happen. And you know, to your, to your original point of, of, of how do you sell what you need upstream? You know, when, when you go in and you've set your budget or you've, you've come up with your preliminary budget and, and you sit down and you have to justify certain things. It's if you can do it in a way that makes them understand the impact, especially in healthcare. Listen, if we don't replace this unit in the next year, two years, the ORs one through four are going to be down. That's what this means. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also do your, do your homework. You know, understand if these ORs go down, that means we lose 15 to $30,000 a day in revenue because they're down. Okay. Now it's in healthcare. It's, it's different than other industries uh, in many ways, but, but in one way, it's also the biggest, in my opinion is, it's patient satisfaction. Okay. It's patient yeah. impact because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Okay. I understand the bottom line matters. I get that, but patient impact is what matters. And so if, if by that unit going down, it means you lost revenue, but it also means that that patient who was supposed to have surgery that day now has to reschedule, get all new tests, all of that. That's an impact on that patient. That's equally important to most leaders. Okay. So understanding that type of thing and being able to justify this is going to, but if we implement X, it's going to not just cool the building, but it's also going to reduce the power, uh, our power usage for the, for the year by X amount percentage, or it's going to uh, speed up my team's productivity by 30%, or it's going to mean, you remember when we had that, that incident that happened three years ago. Yeah, this would mitigate that happening again. As a matter of fact, we've also got five other units that are in that same ballpark uh, of potentially something else happening on those units. Because remember that incident that we happened that happened five years ago on this other unit when it went down, it impacted blah 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 blah. You understand? It's mm-hmm. it's justifying it with facts. It's justifying it with real things that they will remember that happened that impacted something in your facility. It's 
that's your, when I say selling, this isn't somebody getting up on a, a, a soapbox and preaching. This is you justifying something with facts and, and understanding that this is, this is an overall impact, not just on the facilities team, which is behind the scenes. This impacts the front line. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think sometimes selling takes on a negative connotation because they envision like a door to door salesperson as opposed mm -hmm. to what you've just laid out, you know, factual. What would you say, David? Can you pra if I say, listen, dear, I hear what you say and I agree with what you said, but I'm just not comfortable doing that. Is there an, is there an impetus? Is there what would you say to that person? It's like, you're, you're right. I'm not arguing what you're saying, but I'm just not comfortable doing that. Is there any advice you would give that person? Yeah, I think it's it's pull in resources to help you. You know, understand you're not on an island. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're not you're not alone and if you're trying to either, you know, purchase software or you're trying to purchase a, a piece of equipment, leverage your resources within the group that you're trying to to implement. Have them come in and help you. Have them help provide information, documentation that will back up what you're trying to to show and you know, again, this, you're, you're not on an Island when it yeah. comes to this. And that's by building those resources around you, your internal team, like I mentioned earlier, but your other resources are your vendors. Okay. Being able to, to leverage the knowledge of, of, of those vendors, being able to leverage the knowledge of your people is, is gold because you can't know everything you can't. You know, if you, if you, especially if you came up through the ranks and you were a lead electrician or you were, you know, your, your lead plant operator. Okay. And you moved up into a managerial role of some sort, you're not going to know uh, other trades necessarily, all of it. So if you're trying to sell something that's in that other side, leverage your resources. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. I'm talking to David Trask. David is the national director for ARC facilities. Um, David, way back at the beginning of the pod, you had mentioned that you guys, in addition to your healthcare facilities management, you're also in education, manufacturing, stadiums. How would you compare? How would you compare the challenges that face um, healthcare facilities to some of those other areas you work in? What's 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 common, and what's not common? Is there anything that comes to mind? Healthcare is definitely unique in that it's twenty four seven. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest differentiators. I think the other thing too, is healthcare is, is significantly more complex systems. Um, you do get more break fixes that have to happen, um, in healthcare because those machines are running longer because they're running 24 seven, but you also see, um, the sheer number of people. Okay. And when I say people in a, con I'm, I'm talking about nurses, I'm talking about doctors, I'm talking about visitors, uh, patients. Um, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a moving target, but mm -hmm. it's a constant moving target. Um, I think where you've also got in healthcare, you've got significantly more, uh, uh, compliance related things that you have to take into consideration that are not in the, uh, in those other verticals that I mentioned, because again, you've got, uh, the, all the, the different healthcare compliance components that you're under regulations to maintain that aren't under those other, uh, those other type of verticals. Um, healthcare is, is unique in, in that perspective. Um, I think also, like we said earlier, if you've worked in healthcare, you can work anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I, I think, you know, a team is only as good as its weakest link. I think if you, if you can build up your team, um, internally within healthcare, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be successful. You have, you're, you're just going to be successful. Um, other verticals, I think they struggle because they don't have some of those specialized things. Like I mentioned earlier, med gas, you're not, you're not going to find med gas in most of the other verticals. Um, you may find some, but, but very limited. Um, so I think with those other verticals, they're, they're really competing with everybody versus healthcare. You're, you're very, you've got some very specialized things too, that that's where, um, you, you tend to retain people a little bit better. Um, plus the benefits obviously in, in healthcare can all, can be uh, significant as well. Um, a lot of the, uh, the healthcare organizations that I've talked to and I've worked with, um, they actually self-insure. So, mm -hmm. which is, which is fantastic. Um, but I think a lot of those other orgs, they can't compete with something like that. So it's not just about the dollar. It's also about those ancillary benefits as well. Mm -hmm. One of the, um, just speaking to kind of academia and I'm wondering, um, your, your impressions of what I'm about to say. I, I know that when, you know, when I talk to candidates who are considering, you know, because people will always call, even if it's not a job we're working on, they'll call and say, Hey, what do you think, Pete? What do you, and, and if they're going to academia, I'll, I'll sometime, you know, I'll tell them all the time. Sometimes the pace from healthcare to academia is very different. It can be very different. And then I always go back to, I was doing project management for a, for a CM firm. This was years ago, but I, it, and I think this kind of illustrates it. We were doing a, it was a summer project. We were um, renovating their locker rooms and their shower areas. We had to get in and out really quickly. And we had a thunderstorm. It was a July after it was a summer afternoon. We, we don't get a lot of thunderstorms up here. As you know, your wife grew up out here, uh, up here. We don't get them training one after another, after another that frequently. But on this particular afternoon we did, and the ground was pitched and it flooded into, and we weren't working on the pitch, but it flooded into that locker room and the locker room, the showers all flooded. And so we're down there, the construction team, pumping the thing out. Facility director comes in, looks at it and goes home for the day. You know, and, that was it. and that was it. And that to me, I, and I always tell that story and it's not to impugn anybody, but that's the difference between not everybody, but academia and healthcare. That would never occur no. in healthcare. And if it occurred, the director probably wouldn't be employed long. <laughs> and I always say the pace, if you're going from healthcare to academia, you, you know, if you if you're gonna miss the pace, it might not be the best move for you because we do have people who come back in from academia to healthcare because they're like you know frankly, I just I wasn't bored, but it wasn't the same shot of adrenaline right. that I get on a daily basis. Do you find is, is that a fair comparison to make from your experience? I think it is. I you know it, it's funny because I, I loved your your example of you know the guy walking away. I yeah, think it, it, that that's a mentality, you, you know, I, I think it's in, in healthcare, you're always on, Yeah, you know, you're yeah. always on. And, you know, when something goes, when something's going South, everybody jumps, it's just the way it goes. Um, in other verticals, I, I agree. I think it, it can be a slower pace. It can be a, um, it is a significant shot of adrenaline between healthcare and, and other verticals. Um, other verticals have their own stuff too, though. It's, mm -hmm. 
think about uh higher ed, you mm-hmm. know, they've got, they've got athletic facilities and things like that, where things are going on that are just go, 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 go. But it's, but it's short bursts. Yeah. You know, it's not the, the 24 seven bursts or, or go, go, go that, that you have in healthcare. Um, I haven't seen a lot of folks that have gone back and forth, or mm-hmm. I haven't heard of a lot of folks that have gone back and forth. I've heard a lot of folks that move from healthcare org to healthcare org. And, but honestly, most of the moves that I see don't necessarily even leave the same healthcare org. They <laughs> just make moves within the same one. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, they'll leave a uh, one, one hospital and go to a sister hospital that's up the street yeah. or they'll yeah. go run the, you know, they'll, they'll work in the clinical side um, because in healthcare, you know, keep in mind and, and you know, this there's the hospital, then there's the clinical side. So right. the clinical side is typically not the, the fast paced go, go, go that you see in the hospital side. Uh, but, but again, it, they, they have such a diverse mixed bag of buildings because they'll have outpatient surgery centers. They'll have the medical office buildings. They, they've got such a diverse mix of types of buildings in healthcare. Um, but I've also seen where you've got a, a specific group that manages the MOBs versus yeah. the hospital side as well. Um, the MOB side of healthcare, I think is very similar to other, other verticals. Mm. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it is a different pace when you go outside of the healthcare vertical. Yeah. Yeah. Like the MOB side, you're, you're right. Um, you know, we talk about adrenaline and that's great, but unfortunately, as we've talked about a number of times in this podcast, some of the folks are out of the adrenaline <laughs> and with the adrenaline, not stopping, they're saying, you know what, maybe that, maybe that other vertical issue, maybe that's not so bad at this point of my career. So that's kind of that double-edged sword, you know, mm-hmm. you only have so much of adrenaline, you only have so that's much right. adrenaline, which that's we're seeing. Right. So my guest today is David Trask, as I said, National Director for ARC Facilities. David, I, I, I appreciate your time. And if somebody wanted to, um, you know, find more information on what you guys do, what you're all about, where would they go? Sure. You can go to www.arcfacilities.com. And again, it's www.arcfacilities.com. Excellent. Uh, and when would, uh, you, I, and I think I know the answer to this, but I want to ask, you know, we talk about project cycles and they're very well defined and design and construction when different consultants move in and they move out on different projects. I would imagine from a project cycle perspective, folks can bring you in at any time. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. We, we typically will manage documentation for projects, uh, all the way through closeout. Um, and then it's migrated over into the facility side, which then the facilities team has access to day one. Nice, nice. Everybody's everybody needs information these days now, more so than ever. That is <laughs> so, the truth. David, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate that. My pleasure. So this is Peter Martin from Goslin Martin Associates. I thank you for listening to the High Reliability Podcast, and we will be back with a future episode. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.